On June 28th of this year, a photo went viral showing President Joe Biden kneeling before a religious Jewish woman in the White House. That woman was named Rivka Ravitz, and as the longtime chief of staff for Israel's President Ruvi Rivlin, she was accompanying her boss on this Washington visit. Apparently, Mr. Biden asked Ms. Ravitz about herself, and when he heard that she was the mother of a large family, 12 children, he bowed out of respect. Several years earlier, a similar incident took place with the Pope when he stooped his head to her upon learning about her religious requirements. In each case, she represented a lofty ideal, carrying herself with immense dignity to the extent that the leaders of the free world felt compelled to honor her. I had the privilege to interview Rivka Ravitz this past week and can confirm that she presents with a confidence, grace, and nobility that elicits admiration and respect. We've been reading the story of Yosef in Egypt, following his meteoric rise from prisoner to powerful viceroy. Clearly, his is a commanding presence. After listening to a brief interpretation of his dreams, Paro immediately entrusts Yosef with the keys to the nation. Eventually, in our parsha, Yosef finally reveals his true identity to the brothers and requests that they bring their father Yaakov to dwell there. Upon his arrival, a bizarre exchange occurs between the elderly Yaakov and Paro. The latter asks Yaakov his age, How many are the days of the years of your life? To which Yaakov curiously responds, The days of the years of my life are 130 years. The days of the years of my life have been few and miserable, and they have not reached the days of the years of the lives of my forefathers in the days of their travels. This seems to be an unusual case of oversharing, a detailed disclosure about the quality of his life in response to a simple query about its length. Moreover, we are surprised to hear a profoundly righteous man as Yaakov, one of the forefathers, complain about his difficult history. And in fact, the Midrash informs us that he was punished with the loss of 33 years off his originally intended life expectancy, one for each word of his remarks. In some subtle sense, on his exalted level, Yaakov should have expressed himself differently to his Egyptian inquisitor. The close reader, though, might notice that we only reach 33 words if we include Paro's inquiry in the count. Why should Yaakov be censured for this as well, and not only for his actual grievances? The great 20th century ethical master, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, famously explains that, in fact, Yaakov is held accountable for the expression on his face that prompts Paro's curiosity in the first place. This is an amazing teaching, and I believe quite at odds with contemporary mores. We tend to disclaim any sense of responsibility for others' perceptions of us or of what we stand for. And surely we are not expected to organize our lives around others' approval. At the same time, the Torah is rich with nuance and insists that we can both express our values and potential and yet remain cognizant of the responses we are inviting from those around us. Ethics of the Fathers teaches, Rebbe said, what is the proper path a person should choose? Whatever is a credit to his or her maker and earns esteem in the eyes of others. Again, this counterintuitive teaching offers a sense of balance. We must do what is right, a credit to our maker, but do so in a manner that is pleasant, esteemed by others. My latest interviewee carries herself in a way that exudes both high moral standards and congeniality. She takes responsibility not only for her behavior, but for the impression she leaves on others in the process. We can likewise eschew the current binary, the assertion that to live our truth, we must disavow the impact we have on others. After all, we live in a society, and clearly we're intended as social beings. We're inextricably linked to one another, and we can be both righteous and affable at once. Shabbat Shalom.